Hey, Green Rush Nation producer Shake Gunther here with a quick program note. We're running an episode of our sister show, Marijuana Today, this week, but fear not because it features Green Rush host Ann Donahue, who just so happens to be our newest regular over at Marijuana Today. In the episode that follows my short introduction here, Ann joins host Ben Larson and first-time guest Tawheed Chapel to talk about the latest developments for legal marijuana at the federal level, the growing need for quality social equity programs programs in marijuana, and the marching advancement of the normalization of cannabis within contemporary media. If you have not yet tuned into Marijuana Today, you can find it over at mjtodaypodcast.com. Now, without further ado, let's jump into episode 341 of Marijuana Today. We'll be back with a regular episode of The Green Rush next week. This episode of Marijuana Today is sponsored by our friends over at Cureleaf, Marijuana Today's exclusive multi-state cannabis operator sponsor. Cureleaf is a leading vertically integrated medical and wellness cannabis operator active in 23 states with 93 local dispensaries, 22 cultivation sites, and 30 processing facilities, serving up more than 350,000 registered patients. Swing over to cureleaf.com today, spelled C-U-R-A-L-E-A-F, to learn more about all the good things done over at Careleaf and for more about their support of the Veterans Cannabis Project, which works to expand medical marijuana access for military veteran patients. That's careleaf.com and vetscp.org. Welcome to episode 341 of Marijuana Today. I'm your host, Ben Larson, and we're recording Saturday, January 23rd, 2021. How you doing, Marijuana Nation? Well, I hope your answer is excellent, or incredible, or jubilant, or, or simply relieved. Because it was an incredible week. For once, the, the, the clouds parted the blue sky and and sunlight shone through. President Biden. Oh, that feels so good to say. And and, and Madam Vice President Kamala Harris, Oakland, uh, took office this week without incident, much to the chagrin of the now severely disenfranchised proud babies and cue holes. Uh, And they got straight to work. While none of the executive actions this week directly related to the cannabis industry, uh, which we're all here to discuss, aside from my political musings, it certainly signaled an intent of righting wrongs and doing so swiftly, uttering words in his inauguration speech like racial injustice, and, and being the first president to specifically denounce white supremacy, or, or at least having to denounce white supremacy, in an inauguration speech, and acknowledging that we need to take care of the planet. I'm not trying to over-dramatize this, but it's been four years uh, since such compassionate sentiment has been uttered at the White House by a president. And as far as I'm concerned, the, the faster we get some of these immediate needs off his desk, the faster we can make way for cannabis reform. So, Godspeed, Mr. President and Madam Vice President. We have much to do. But uh, just because we're, we're, we're not yet signing an executive order to legalize cannabis 
doesn't mean that there isn't a bit of movement at both the federal and state levels. Uh, in fact, one of the most, sorry, the most uh, anticipated state to legalize in the near future is undoubtedly uh, New York. Andrew Cuomo uh, announced some legislative details of his marijuana legalization plan this week, uh, which unfortunately excluded home cultivation, uh, delivery services, and on-site consumption at dispensaries and had, well, underwhelming equity uh, provisions. What the hell, Cuomo? It's 2021. Get with the program. Uh, for any of our regular listeners, um, point Chris Crane, Heather Sullivan, big Cuomo fan, uh, your move. <laughs> uh, who, Heather, by the way, as it relates to this topic, uh, hosted an incredible episode last week with Steve Hawkins of MPP and, and Rahim Ukta of, of Cureleaf uh, to, uh, or on uh, the drive for, for equity in legal marijuana. So uh, definitely worth a listen if you, if you haven't had a chance. Um, also, uh, we had a similar lackluster proposal at the federal level. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later. But on the bright side, uh, we continue to see just greater acceptance and normalization by the general public, uh, media, and, and various organizi organizations, uh, which, you know, for me, it, it's just inspiring much hope uh, for the progression of, of cannabis reform this year. Uh, we'll be talking about all of this and more as we get serious about marijuana business and politics. Uh, but I couldn't do it alone, so I'm joined by two of the smartest people in the industry and movement. First up, now regular guest here on the show and, and co-host of our sister podcast, uh, The Green Rush, uh, Managing Director of KCSA Strategic Communications, my friend, Anne Donahoe. Hi, Thanks, Ben. Hi. <laughs> Happy Saturday. Great to be here. Happy Saturday, indeed. And, and next up, uh, first-time guest, uh, we have a Philly-based journalist, uh, having written for publications like the Washington Post and Philly Inquirer, also an executive board member of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, uh, who also happens to be South, half South Asian, uh, much like our new vice president, uh, Tahid Chappelle. Tell me, Tahid, how was your week? Uh, first off, happy to be here. So um, this is like a cherry on the top of a um, very productive week. Um, so this weekend has been going great and I'm just happy to be a part of this conversation. Love this podcast um, uh, and really excited for today's conversation. Amazing. Well, super excited to have you. Uh, really admire your work. Um, I, I read the, the Juggernaut article and um, as kind of like a, as a mixed race person myself, it was just like kind of really uh, rung home. Um, so, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, Pulling for for Andrew Yang in New York, and and that's not because of Cuomo's uh, recent proposal. Uh, <laughs> um, well, so excited to have you guys here today. Uh, let's jump right in. Uh, the the election and, and, and events that have transpired uh, since ha have have really, um, you know, they've they've really put wind in the sails of the cannabis industry and movement, and and from the president or at least the vice president, uh, to the Democrats retaining control of the House and then flipping the Senate, uh, to the seemingly persistent pro, or at least pro-ish, um, cannabis appointments, uh, before all the positive signaling that, that would seemingly set the stage for uh, more progressive and far-reaching measures like we're hoping for, um, we're, we're still seeing some pretty lackluster proposals at various levels of government. So... Um, 
starting at the top, uh, we, we have our first federal ref, uh, federal marijuana bill of 2021 uh, that just hit Congress and, and and seeking to reschedule cannabis from Schedule One to Schedule Three, uh, which has some benefits, uh, but is clearly not descheduling or, or, or decriminalization. Uh, did you guys see this bill? Is, is this the is this the Republicans trying to get out in front of the inevitable? democratic push and create a barrier there? Or, or is this an exciting incremental step? Um, and what's your take? I mean, I think, I think all steps forward are exciting. Uh, you know, I think we're going to, we're, we're just going to have to wait and see. I think there's just so much, um, that the, the Democrats, um, in power, I mean, go Stacey Abrams, um, <laughs> we'll have to wade through, um, in order to even pay attention to this. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know a lot about this particular bill, um, other than it's been, it's been presented. Um, but I think that, that anytime that, that we can get people talking about presenting, you know, new and different ideas, it's gotta be a good thing. And it doesn't matter where it comes from. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a good signal to see that they're having these conversations um, with different organizations. Obviously the devil is in the details. So I haven't had a chance to really read into the, to the bill that was proposed by um, uh, Greg Stoop, I believe, mm -hmm. um, Representative Greg Stoop from Florida. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a good signal to say that, okay, they're, they're, these conversations are now reaching a certain point within the Republican establishment. And what does the policy language look like? Um, because that's going to indicate who are they talking to, who has their ear and whatnot. So even though this is something that advocates may not be supportive of, and they have rightly every reason not to support it if, it's not, if it does not meet their demands, um, at least it's a good signal to say, okay, we know that Republicans are, are probably going to be moving and accelerating at this point. How do we prepare for this? Because there's gonna have to be a lot of back and forth encountering. Um, so it's, it's a good indication that they should be prepared and, and we should be talking about this a lot more. I mean, if Congress was smart, um, you think about ideas, you know, there, there's this this push for, for people to work together, which I know that there's a lot that needs to be repaired and, and uh, unity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> unit, yeah. And, and I kind of think we all think it's bullshit, but, um, but if there ever was a, a bipartisan issue that you could come together on and that, and that you're neither one of your constituents are going to be pissed off, this is one of them. So why not come out of the gate with something that is universally popular? Um, we'll, we'll get kind of everybody on that, that same footing, the, the positive momentum, um, and just, just do this already. And that's actually a good thing to, to note as, um, you know, when you say universally popular, it's also, you know, universal to who, like, who are those groups that as a collective are talking to these representatives and lawmakers and saying universally, this is what we think is best. And they're taking that. Right. So it's, um, it's, and it's, and you know, I, I, I am, what's it called? was working in Philadelphia. I'm technically in uh, New Jersey now, but you know, bipartisanship is massive in, in Pennsylvania, especially around criminal reform, right? Criminal legal reform. So the fact that we know that cannabis is a bipartisan um, uh, issue, we know that criminal legal reform is also a bipartisan issue. Um, I'm hoping that we see a lot more progressive language, even coming from Republicans, um, because by part, you know, criminal legal reform also impacts their constituencies too. Hopefully we'll start seeing stronger language this year. Yeah. And I, I just love the fact that 
this was presented by a Republican at the very beginning of the year. And, you know, if I think about, okay, worst case scenario, this is what goes and gets passed through, right? Like uh, schedule three, while not perfect, um, at least would not be schedule one or two where those, those two categories are really kind of defined as what's truly illegal. Like what's, you know, where the, the biggest criminal offenses lie. Also, uh, when it comes like to 280E, tax implications, all these kind of things, you know, would would frankly be a boon for 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 industry, um, you know, and, and there's just kind of a lot of other underlying issues, not to mention kind of the opening up of, of research uh, for for cannabis as medicine. So, um, you know. I, 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 do, I agree with you guys. This is, is a positive signal. I think there's a lot of work that can be done. And I, and I guess, I, you know, I, I don't think any of us are the, the political pundits that, that would know the strategy here of like, if, if something like this did get passed, does that block the opportunity for further like decriminalization or, or legalization in, you know, in short order afterwards? Um, can we use it as a stepping stone or does it, you know, potentially block some of that action? Um, but yeah, yeah, exciting to hear it on 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 the tips of people's tongues uh, in the second and third week here here of January. Um, all right, well let's let's take it down to the the state level. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Andrew Cuomo uh, and thus the state of New York is is seemingly to uh, attempt. Uh, to join the ranks of, of a number of other lackluster efforts in, to legalize cannabis, um, you know, including New Jersey. Uh, so again. It, in his proposal, no home cultivation, no delivery services, no on-site consumption at dispensaries, and, and completely underwhelming equity provisions. Like, I, I'm just kind of at a loss. Like New York, like you, New York, you can get it done. Like get it done. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just feel like New York and New Jersey are are in the same kind of um, like they're, they're just getting in their own way. Um, and the home grow thing just completely blows my mind. And I know that this, it's, you know, a lot of the, the MSOs, um, you know, are, are, are calling their lobbyists and, you know, making sure provisions like these, and I'm just picking on this one thread here, but, um, you know, are in place, but I, it just, it literally makes no sense. Like no one who is growing their three plants in their basement, you know, isn't going to compete with, with the dispensary down the street. I'm a wine drinker. I don't, I don't have my own grapes, but if I did, I could probably make something that's terrible, but I, it wouldn't stop me from going to my local liquor store. Like it, it, it just makes no sense. And if you're, if you're trying to, to, to couch it like, um, like tobacco or like alcohol, you can, you can roll your own cigarettes. You can, you know, you can, you can make your own beer. Um, there's no reason why, why people can't cultivate in their own, in the privacy of their own homes. It just makes no sense. It is not competitive to any of these larger industries and they just need to let it go. Keep talking, please. Come to my TED talk. No. <laughs> please, because in my, like, and, and I need to do more research on this, but we know that there are multiple states that are online that have home grow. How has that really negatively impacted the market? It has not. It hasn't. It has yeah. not. So when you see something like this, it's automatically a red flag, in my opinion, especially when we're talking about adult use. Um, if you do not have home grow, you got to start over. Like, full, in my opinion, full full stop, if home grow is not addressed, even if it's just decriminalized so that you don't have to worry about any sort of incarceration, if it's not, if, that, if that's not acknowledged, that's a massive red flag. And I'm really disappointed to see kind of New York try to, to, to sneak that one in as if it wasn't going to be looked at. 
Um, and that, I think, is an indication for uh, the advocates in New York that, again, they're going to have a, a steep hill to climb if this is where the governor is starting from, right? If he's like, this is what we're going to start with and this is how we're going to have to begin negotiations, it's a little bit of a, a hill to climb. So it's unfortunate to see. Um, am I that surprised? No, but like, we have a lot of education to do in New York. And I think the, you know, I am, I am a student of Chris Crane, right? We all, <laughs> we all kind of are here. Um, and, you know, I think that um, the, the cannabis advocacy movement is so good at, at, at rolling with the punches and taking them and moving on and, and, you know, making it better the next time. And I think that's probably the space we need to be thinking in here that, um, you know, yes, there are issues, but most of me thinks like, let's just get it done and worry about it later. But in the same time, I know that there's marginalized communities and there's issues, those people that are in that, that are in that gray area, um, where it's going to affect their lives in terrible ways. And, you know, the, the liberal social side of me is like, no, we can't do this. It has to be perfect. But at what point do we sacrifice the good for the perfect? I, I don't know the answer to that. It's also why I'm not an elected official. <laughs> <laughs> that and you probably don't want to read my tweets <laughs> i mean you bring up a good point there's always going to be tension right and we know this in every single state there's tension and so i'm i'm based in new jersey right um uh, a little bit of background on me that ben had mentioned you know i worked for the washington post i recently worked for the philadelphia inquirer and i was working in philly for two years um and and connected to the pennsylvania movement um and then during the pandemic i moved out to jersey which you know legalized in November, but, you know, the bill failed. And, and that's, a, that's a massive headache, right? But I, I, the, the tension was is that, in New Jersey too, is that because the bill wasn't, I mean, in, in, in many different aspects, but because the bill didn't specifically address things like home grow or um, really allowing people who were formerly incarcerated to actually um, participate in the industry, that we knew that we were already going to be starting at a disadvantage. And if advocates, especially those with lived experience and, and, and those that are coming from impacted communities from the war on drugs, if they're saying that we are going to start with at a disadvantage if this bill is passed, then it can't be a good enough bill, right? I think I think there are certain criteria that people can all agree to that as long as they're included in the bill, even if nothing, even if not everything is included, if there's certain criteria that need to be included can be passed, that's a better start. But in New York though, and again, you know, homegrown is one conversation. But if that is not in there, that's a that's a massive disadvantage already, right? That already puts people at a disadvantage because if they're not un, if they're not able to grow or if they're not able to share or grab without having to go to dispensary, which can you know sometimes be um, economically impossible for a lot of people, if they can't grow their own, they're already at a disadvantage. So who are we helping? Um, and this tension is always going to continue, right? And it, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how these tensions play out from the states who do have home grow and are doing well to the states that are not doing uh, home grow and maybe not performing as well. And how does that influence the conversations at the federal level too? But I, that's just to say, Anne, I, I understand that like it does, it can't, it, you know, we shouldn't hold to be perfect, but if we start at a disadvantage, we're not doing anything good, yep. right? Are we really making that positive impact that we're fighting so hard for? Right. And, and I mean, I'd be interested in both of your opinions here. Sorry, Ben, I know I shouldn't ask questions, but Go the podcast it. hosts yeah, yeah. me can't help it. Bring it out. Sorry, you want my job. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I do not. I do not. You, I could not do what you do. Um, but, you know, the New Jersey and, and New Jersey is my home state. So I'm a, I'm a transplant. I'm in L.A., but I'm born and raised in Jersey, Jersey Shore, all that stuff. So, um, you know, I think that it just 
going back that that they just can't get out of their own way. But I think I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on they're tangled up in the regulations for people under 21 caught with uh, caught with cannabis. And and I and, you know, I, we it's just it, it boggles my mind that we haven't learned enough from from the war on drugs or even from from sex education like abstinence never works you know <laughs> so so if you're going to provide these super harsh penalties for for kids you know who who you know are caught with with however much weed um you know they're just going to go to the black market. They're just going to go and the black market's going to thrive and nothing's going to change. Um, so I, I'd be interested in, in hearing, you know, what you guys think about, you know, what that should look like um, and what, what the state can do to, to just write that law better. Wow. Um, yeah, from, from my perspective, it's just, I, I think you're right. We just need to do better from the beginning, right? It's, um, you know, there, there's already movement to ensure that, you know, people aren't losing opportunities to go and get educated after they've been reprimanded for for a drug offense, right? It's like, like stop stop working backwards. It's like just the mm-hmm. general sentiment. Um, and you know, I was actually thinking about this when you guys were chatting, and I don't think I've ever voiced uh, this opinion. You know, I I have generally agreed with kind of incremental progress, um, but it, when it comes to to social equity. And thinking about like how decisions are made and, and how money influences it versus voting, it's just like what's being proposed is largely because those who have the dollars are ha- have the loudest voices, and so that's what's getting pushed through into into this legislation. And if that gets voted on uh, purely because we want to see incremental steps forward, then think about like how decisions are made after that. Again, it's the people with the money, not the voters, and so. Those with the loudest voices, the, the ones with the dollars, are the ones who are going to affect change. And, and that change is going to come a lot slower to the disenfranchised communities that, that don't have the capital to kind of push those conversations forward. So, again, I've never stated that before, like previously on the show, but like, I, I'm like, what, we have to get it done now. We can't start at a disadvantage, to Tahid's point. Like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of went off on a tangent there. Um, yes, it's like stop penalizing kids, but I, I just had to get that out of my head. Though. <laughs> I'm, I'm just baffled. I'm baffled. And, you know, I, I don't have the connections at the higher level to Governor Murphy's office, but I'm baffled as to why he stopped and said, we're not punishing enough. Like if a legalization bill is coming through and people are still being punished, if there's any sort of, and well, we know that, you know, law enforcement and police do have a heavy influence, especially in New Jersey. You probably know this and better than I do, but in the, in the amount of time I've been in New Jersey, it's very evident that law enforcement and authorities in the carceral state have an influence. And so if there are still, um, if there's still language that is um, going to have someone interact with the criminal legal system, whether it's police or any sort of thing, it's 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 not it's going to start us at a disadvantage again. We any legalization bill cannot allow anyone to be incarcerated for this anymore. Whether you're using it, whether you're growing, whether you're smoking, whatever. And so I was really disappointed and kind of shocked that you know this kind of stoppage. I mean, the bill is literally sitting on his desk now because no one wants to touch it, and he he's he's stopping it because he wants to see more penalties. And the fact is, is that not only has that prohibited legalization, the legal market from being established in New Jersey, it's actually stopping the decriminalization bill that was also passed by the legislature. And that's sitting on his desk, too. You know, I understand that, you know, not having a great legalization bill maybe means pulling it off the table, going back and really set up, setting some um, some stuff um, in a bipartisan way. 
But to have a decrim bill that was actually really supported by a lot of people, especially the advocates, to have that as to say, stop incarcerating people and stop criminalizing people while we figure out legalization, without that being there, New Jersey is only going to consistently continue to incarcerate people. And that I'm really sad about because I wasn't a big fan of the legalization bill itself with some of the language that was missing, but the decrim bill I was okay with because at least it would have prevented, it would have added as a prevention and a safety measure for people who are using cannabis or trying to create their own cannabis businesses. But it's um it's frustrating. And I think in my opinion, I think New Jersey is gonna have to start all over this year. Really? I think so. I mean, I, and not, not, not the legalization part, I'm just saying yeah. like building of the, the, the bill, I think yeah. we might need to start. If, if they cannot, for whatever reason, and I'm not going to be surprised, if they cannot come to an agreement off of this one thing that shouldn't we shouldn't even be talking about when it comes to having to mm-hmm. penalize people under 21, if they can't come to an agreement on that, I don't know. I think they might have to start all over. But that being said, you know, uh, Senator Scutari um, came out the gate in New Jersey once legalization happened in November. Once they saw the voters overwhelmingly approved, Scutari, um, Senator Scutari had a bill ready to go. So I have a sneaking suspicion that if this bill that he's been trying to champion, um, which is S21, the, the companion piece is A21, if A21 and S21 does not pass in New Jersey, I have a feeling that he may be ready to bring another bill back into play. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to give a, a shout out. Um, if you're if if your listeners are are interested in New Jersey um, and the cannabis movement, uh, and you're not reading the New Jersey Cannabis Insider, then you guys are really missing out. They do great reporting. Um, you know, it's it's good journalism. Pay for it. You know, and and you know, there's some great beat reporters there. So um, definitely wanted to give them a shout out because that's where I get a lot of my New Jersey. Uh, info in addition to my family. <laughs> and, you know, full transparency, I actually, um, I do freelance writing with uh, NJ Cannabis Insider. So any New Jersey listeners, if you'd like to talk to me and, and spill some teen gossip, by all means. Ooh. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Well, it, it's it's not, you know, all bad news coming out of the, the, the mid-Atlantic states. Um, you know, uh, Senator uh, Douglas McCrory, uh, the co-chair of the, the Education Committee, uh, had this amazing quote. He said, Frosty the Snowman uh, would have a better chance of passing summer school in hell uh, than any piece of legislation in Connecticut if it doesn't deal with equity, economics, and communities that have been targeted and devastated by the fake war on drugs. Uh, that is a powerful statement, and I, I just I love the sentiment, and, and I hope... That's a good signal for what's to come uh, with Connecticut and and beyond. Um, Connecticut, you know who's there? Jason Ortiz, the president of MCBA, the Minority Cannabis Business Association. Ah, he is phenomenal. So glad to see, I'm sure, some of his influence is filtering through there. Yeah. I I love it. And like, you can't, you can't be... I, I don't know. Connecticut can just learn so much from Jersey and and New York for what didn't work. And I think they're just through that quote. It seems like they're doing that um, and kind of saying right up front, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna tolerate this kind of bullshit. Um, so uh, it's sorry to curse. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Absolutely. I forget. Freaking lootly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't make me feel better, Ben. <laughs> well, you can. I don't know. Sorry, I forgot. In my own podcast, we curse, so I apologize for uh, yeah. sensitive listeners hey. out there. Um, <laughs> we, we yeah. th- this is real cannabis, uh, whatever exactly. feels real. 
But also, I think a lot of people, especially on the, the West Coast, where the states are just so big and spread out, um, you know, don't realize how what a tight cluster the Northeast really is. And, you know, I can drive for, for five hours and be in five states. You know, I can drive for five hours in California and not even be halfway through the state. Um, so I think that that uh, the interstate commerce and all, it, it plays a different role in in that region of the country. Um, and I think that, that that's something that those governors and, and, you know, legislators need to be mindful of because you're going to just watch your, your tax dollars, you know, get on the old New Jersey turnpike. And, you know, no one wants to see that if you're, you know, especially now when states are, are you know, unemployment's high, you know, the, the COVID pandemic is still raging. Um, these states desperately need money. So I, I just need to get it done. Yeah. Uh, small tangent. We'll, we'll we'll save this for a different show. But from a business perspective, I'm really looking forward to the incremental legalization on the eastern seaboard and then the lobbying to create interstate commerce because of these smaller <laughs> markets to build more efficient businesses to allow those markets to to survive. And then for us on the west coast to reap the benefits of the the interstate commerce change. So. I'm just forecasting that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Oregon's been talking about it for years now. So um, yeah, but I, I think I think, like you mentioned, being able to drive through five states so so quickly on the East Coast that that's what that's the conversation that'll get it done, especially when you're talking about having to develop entire supply chains in states like Rhode Island, right? It's like, it, right. it's hard from yeah. a business perspective, like plain and simple. Well, and, and it's interesting that, and now I'm going to go on another New Jersey rant, <laughs> so <laughs> indulge me. They're having a hard time finding uh, properties for the grows. Um, it's called the Flippin' Garden State. <laughs> find places to grow. She's going to swear again, folks. Cover your ears. I didn't. I didn't swear. I didn't swear. But, but you know, these these municipalities are coming in and being like, yes, we're, we're very pro, but not in my backyard. Um, and it is just ridiculous. And I, I just think that, um, you know, as a state, which actually has a lot of farmland, believe it or not, um, you know, that 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 we are having difficulty finding place places to have a new cash crop Speechless. South Jersey, South Jersey is where it's at. You know, I, I didn't know. realize how, yeah. how beautiful. How much, I mean, you know, I think there's an opportunity there. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I did one. Oh, go for it, Anne. Go for no, it. No, done. Rant. Uh, I was just, just going to say that you know, last year um, through the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, we held our Can Atlantic Conference, right? And it was a conference that brought in the Mid Atlantic region. We're talking New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Virginia. Maryland, DC, and West Virginia to talk about, you know, this domino effect that we're going to see. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I thought New Jersey, New York would have been online by then. So we could have like, at least talked about like, Hey, how's everyone else doing? But like, we're still inching at a snail's pace. And, you know, I, I want to tell uh, listeners is um, if you're looking at the mid Atlantic region specifically, don't sleep on Delaware. Um, I was talking to Zoe mm. Patel, um, who works for Delaware Can, and they were super close to actually being legalized last year. She was like, we had like only five votes down. I think we're going to do it in 2021. And she was like, oh, we're going to do it in 2021 um, during my conference. So don't sleep on Delaware because there's some opportunities there. And then um, Virginia, which I did most of my education actually in Virginia, um, is moving a lot faster than I had anticipated. And there's a group called, um, I think if you look at them on Instagram, called Marijuana Justice or THC Justice is their ha uh, handle. They've been doing a lot of good um, uh, educational segments on just how rapidly 
Virginia is moving. So if you are listening to this and you're looking for different markets or just trying to figure out what's going on, the Mid-Atlantic region is really the place to look at right now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's a good note to end on. Let's uh, wrap up segment one there. Um, We're going to take a quick break uh, so that Mr. Shea Gunther uh, can give us a word from today's sponsor, who makes all of this possible. And then he'll run us through a segment we lovingly call Marijuana Today Daily This Week. Shay. Thanks, Ben. Uh, this week, we're sponsored by our friends over at Cureleaf. Marijuana Today's exclusive multi-state cannabis operator sponsor. With 93 local dispensaries, 22 cultivation sites, and 30 processing facilities, serving up more than 350,000 registered patients and customers. The folks over at Cureleaf know that they wear a lot of hats when it comes to dispensing medical cannabis. And one of the more important hats they doff every day is that of matchmaker. Because there is a lot of variability within different marijuana strains, brands, and modalities. And it helps to have the knowledgeable and educated staff at Cureleaf there to help dial in the exact medicines that make their patients feel best. When you walk into a Cureleaf shop, you do so knowing the people working there are there to help you curate your own one-of-a-kind cannabis experience. Learn all the things that you want to know about Cureleaf, including more about their stock traded up on the Canadian Security Exchange, as well as their support for the Veterans Cannabis Project over at Cureleaf.com with Cureleaf spelled C-U-R-A-L-E-A-F. Before I kick it back to Ben and crew for the rest of the show, we need to jump into a segment we like to call Marijuana Today Daily this week. But before I do that, I need to thank our news sponsor, Atlantic Farms of Portland, Maine, also known as my favorite medical marijuana dispensary slash gas station. The Atlantic Farms is known as the place to go when you want top quality cannabis at hugely affordable prices, while also being a place you can fill up your tank. Learn more about the Atlantic Farms of Portland, Maine over at theatlanticfarms.com. That's theatlanticfarms.com. And if you do swing by, tell them I said hello. All right, on to the news. We head out to Arizona to kick off our quick dip into the marijuana news pool as the Grand Canyon State opened up legal adult use marijuana sales on Friday. Just a couple of months after Arizona citizens passed legal adult use via ballot measure. That is an extraordinarily fast timeline and marks the state as the fastest to go to market after citizens approval. On the other side of the spectrum from that is my own home state of Maine, which took about four years to implement adult use sales after we passed the legalization through a citizens initiative in 2016. So Arizona was just blazing fast. The opening on Friday was 
was a bit of an unexpected soft launch with 70 existing medical shops being notified on short notice that they could start up adult use sales. Chris Kudialis over at Leafly is a good write-up on this one, detailing how state officials were able to move so quickly on opening up adult use sales. This is obviously a model that other states are going to want to take a look at, so I'd dive into the full story on this if I were you, even if you aren't doing business in Arizona. As we always do, we have all the news we cover linked to on our website at mjtodaypodcast.com. Bouncing east to Massachusetts, we have an update on a storyline we covered last week on our daily podcast concerning a lawsuit filed by the Commonwealth Dispensary Association against the state over its plan to allow social equity program participants to have an exclusive lock on delivery licenses for the program's first three years. The lawsuit was filed despite the generally held opinion that the exclusivity is a great way to allow people without the capital to open up brick and mortar shops to get a start building their business within the industry. And thankfully, the Commonwealth Dispensary Association is getting some direct feedback on the flawed wisdom of their lawsuit because over the last few days, a number of its dispensary members have resigned their memberships in the association, directly citing the lawsuit as a reason. So far, the CDA has lost as members the companies Cultivate in Good Health, Garden Remedies, and New England Treatment Access, or NEDA. In addition, the dispensary Pure Oasis, which is so far the only dispensary owned by Economic Empowerment Program participants in the state, left the CDA months ago. Not a bad storyline to keep an eye on. We end our swirl into the newsy side of things with a story of a rather large round of corporate fundraising, with Canadian giant Aurora Cannabis pulling in $125 million U.S. in new financing through the sale of stock. Aurora sold 12 million units to investors through a group of large underwriters, including traditional firms BMO Capital Markets and ATB Capital Markets, which each unit being made up of a single share of stock and a half warrant for a future sale. This is landing on our news radar this week because frankly, it's just nice to see such a large raise. That's all the marijuana news for this week. All of our headlines today came from our news podcast, Marijuana Today Daily, which gives you the 10 most important industry news stories every Tuesday through Friday morning. Open up your browser and swing on over to mjtodaydaily.com to give a listen. That's mjtodaydaily.com. And of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher by simply searching for the term marijuana. That does it for the news. For Marijuana Today, I'm Shay Gunther. Back to you, Ben. Thanks, Jay. Uh, welcome back, folks. Uh, as we continue to, to highlight needs around social equity on this show, uh, I want to remind our listeners that reasonable legislation is, is just the beginning. Uh, to truly affect change, it requires uh, systemic reform and, and support uh, for underrepresented uh, communities, entrepreneurs, and workers in the space, which often doesn't get talked a lot about. Um, so we're seeing a swell uh, of expungement legislation, which is really great. If we can get it at the federal level, like, awesome. Um, and this is setting the stage for, for more people uh, impacted by the war on drugs uh, to start working in the cannabis industry. Easier said than done sometimes. Uh, and this has been highlighted by by a lot of work that that LPP, the Last Prisoner Project, uh, 
rebound, uh, root and rebound uh, programs like that. Um, but how do we best provide uh, those people that, that are reentering into the cannabis industry um, with the resources, the, the education uh, they need to enter and be successful uh, in the industry? And, and I don't think that gets talked about enough. And, and there's some areas that are. Um, but, you know, Tahid, I, I think you've looked at this quite a bit. Like, what, what are your thoughts? Ooh, wow. Where to start? Where to start? <laughs> well, let me just say this. If we actually abolished the police and the carceral systems, we would have a lot more money to put into helping those who were actually harmed by the, as you know, the fake war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of abolishing these systems of oppression, um, where the money does reside, in my opinion, the budget is there, the money is there. Um, and that's why a lot of the defund abolish police movement is critical because it is allocating, reallocating resources and money to the programs that should be doing this work. Right. So outside of that, um, you know, I, I, two things come to mind one, especially, and we, I got to point this back to New Jersey though, when it, it was talked about that when legalization happens, how much money and support does a cannabis commission have, right? What are the regulatory authorities and the abilities of a independent commission to utilize and refocus its resources and money? Um, For me, at least in the spaces that I occupy, it's so critical that there is enough support for community outreach. And I feel like community outreach, community programs, um, specifically focused on targeting uh, re-entry spaces are not funded enough and they're not sustainable or supported because of the ongoing, you know, wheelhouse or not wheelhouse, but the ongoing rotation of lawmakers, different uh, officials and all that. But in my opinion, it really has to start with allocating resources to make sure that the communities that are most to, to stand most from benefiting or being hurt from legalization understand what's about to happen. And if we don't have that money put into the education and the outreach that you just let people know what's going to happen in their neighborhood, in their communities, in their networks, they're going to be caught off guard. And um, there's a lot of reporting and a lot of data that shows that even when you come from behind the wall and you're returning to society, that there's just so many other things that we have to talk about. First, housing, mental health, job security, job training, like there, there's a myriad of levels that we need to even talk about first before we can even say, oh, now you can get a job in cannabis. Oh, you used to, you know, sell, you used to grow. Now you can get a job in cannabis. It's like, no, we have to first address all the things that return citizens need first to make them feel safe and financially um, supported and then get into how to, uh, you know, transition them into the cannabis industry through proper education and, and support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, you bring up an incredible point. Like, sadly, uh, even after making strides to create pathways, even the most progressive states uh, are, are seemingly taking steps in the opposite direction when it comes to enforcement. Like my, my, my home state of California, um, who I acknowledge has been famously imperfect um, <laughs> in their legalization efforts, uh, is seemingly putting cannabis funds towards further enforcement Instead of just trying to make the goddamn system like easier to navigate, and it's like you talk. There's all this talk about creating programs and and equity opportunities, but like you, even the MBAs and lawyers and accountants can't figure out how to properly operate in in the space that you've created. So like, 
start there and stop enforcing. Sorry. And rant. No. <laughs> I, I, did you curse? Did you curse in there? I, I, did you, did you I, hear I, it? I don't know. I kind of blacked I out for a second. I just wanted to see. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just wanted to make sure you're okay, Ben. Um, you know, I think to, to your point about states taking a step back, um, you know, I want to talk about, I've been reading up a little bit about Massachusetts this week, um, or the last couple of weeks and, you know, they, um, so the Massachusetts dispensaries are as the, the Commonwealth Dispensary Association are suing the Mass Cannabis Control Commission over two regulations, um, that make delivery license only available to applicants from commission, from the commission's two equity programs. So the social equity program and the economic uh, empower applicant applicants program for a period of three years. Um, so this allows companies to, to purchase one is a license to allow companies to purchase products wholesale and deliver. A second is a courier model that allows individuals to partner with rec uh, adult use marijuana shops to um, deliver uh, deliver cannabis. So it's the, the marijuana couriers license. So. <laughs> After after that happened, there have been um, two two dispensaries that have now said that there are at least two. I don't know. There are probably more. Basically, saying that this is an attack on equity, um, and they no longer want to be a part of of the dispensary uh, association. Um, and and I think that. Um, you know what Massachusetts did is a is a net good thing. I mean these these. Um, these regulations are, are put in place to be less capital intense on ramps into the industry. And by, by not, you know, this is what the social equity programs are meant to do. And by having the dispensaries go back and say, well, wait a second, this, you know, we have the license to actually do this too. And now you're saying that we can't use that part of the license. So uh, it just feels like a gut punch that, you know, here's a, here's a state that like, you know, thought it was doing the right thing. And Massachusetts has had a whole network of problems that I'm sure your listeners are not, um, uh, it's, it's not new to them, but I mean, this was kind of one thing that I just felt like, oh, come on guys, really? Yeah. It speaks volumes, doesn't it though? Really does. It, it really does. Yeah. It speaks volumes. And I have to give a shout out to Devin Alexander in Massachusetts for really being one of the people on the forefront trying to get that courier legislation, just the language passed. Just yeah. to be like, listen, this is we can't even we can't even compete. We can't even build off of this delivery. We have to get it just to have a chance to compete, right? Like this is, and, and to and to see dispensaries come out like this, it it isn't shocking, but you know, when you show your hand like that, then, then we should know who you are. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to give credit and part of this is me just being a Homer, um, you know, Oakland, California, uh, doing a, a really great job at, at trying to push forward, like some progressive initiatives that actually think about, you know, that, that continued path. And, and maybe it's because there's a handful of us here that have been screaming it for since, since 2016. Um, but they they they've launched this this program that provides uh, funding uh, for social equity cannabis businesses, but but not just business alone. The, the the requirement is that the the business recruits, trains, and retains qualified members of a diverse workforce. Like this is just it's it's beautiful language. Like I I and and I know I know the the people that are are this money's being granted to right. Like there there's actual equity incubators where where businesses are coming together, being built together, and leveraging uh, you know connections in the supply chain and providing access to to those business partners. Um, like this is the work that needs to be done. Like it can't just be oh we're gonna hand you know equity applicants licenses 
you know, it, it, that that's just not enough. Like we need to make sure that they're, and that they're successful and supported. And it's not fair. Um, you know, at, at that point you're, you're inviting people to fail. Um, and that's just, it, it's inequitable at its base. Right. Yeah. So, so, so we have, uh, here on the West coast, uh, we, we, we have a number of programs that, that, that I'm aware of, um, uh, the momentum uh, uh, incubator that that Ease created uh, provides some of this funding, connections, support. Uh, what other programs are, are are you guys aware of that are are spinning up in in various regions? Um, because yeah, like I like I mentioned, my 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 view is is largely very focused on California. I actually had a chance to talk with Eugene Monroe from uh, Viola. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had talked about, you know, their partnership uh, with Roots and Rebound, Rebound, which I believe you brought up too, um, right. which is which is a good step in 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 the, in my opinion, in, in terms of like you know these MSOs coming in and trying to support and identifying the organizations that are doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm happy to see that type of identification because I, I sometimes feel like MSOs try to come in and like host a fundraiser, you know, pre-pandemic, host a fundraiser or sponsor something, and then they call that support. But when you're when you're partnering with like a, a group called Root and Rebound, when they're doing work in the reentry space specifically, and they've been doing this work for a while, and you're able to um, expand on that, that's great. That's really great because. Um, there's, there's so many, in my opinion, there's a lot of community-based solutions that exist that have had to navigate the gray or illicit area of cannabis legalization or cannabis prohibition. And I think it's, it's, it's nice to see when those organizations that have been doing the work in the reentry space get that type of funding and boost, um, Mm -hmm. from a company that is conscious about supporting those that are, um, helping to get people into the industry. So, um, Viola's uh, out there, there, I think it's Viola cares. I think uh, that's intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. And I just need to point out, I mean, we, I, um, am on the more of the business side of, of the cannabis industry. Um, you know, but there is money out there. There, I mean, Curaleaf announced the $250 million raise, Verano, a hundred million dollars, Aurora, $125 million. That, like there, there's mergers and acquisitions, hap- acquisitions happening. There is a, an injection of capital so far in the first quarter of this year um, that I think has surprised a lot of people. So to, for, for anyone to claim poverty at the, at the corporate level um, and to not correctly allocate this money, at least a portion of it, to, to, to put your money where your mouth is, you know, is, is something that I think that people, that investors, um, that advocates need to be watching out for because the money is there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like a, a double whammy of support. I, I also a hat tip to, to, uh, the folks with uh, subversive capital, uh, which is made famous with, with Jay-Z's, uh, uh, involvement, uh, but also includes uh, Kaliva, you know, Rock Nation, Left Coast Ventures, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, dedicating a fund to to equity operators. Um, you know, so just lo- love seeing that 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 initiative. Um, one other organization that that I have come across that again is, you know, when you when you if you are just going to be in a position where you are just giving money, right? Like, make sure it's going to an organization that is actually doing good work with it. And one other organization that we've really enjoyed working with um, at Vertosa is uh, This Is Our Dream. Uh, so thisisourdream.com. You know, again, creating programs and guidance so that we can guarantee 
success uh, for, for, for these operators. Um, or just, again, people trying to, trying to enter the space. Um, yeah. That's Hillary's project, right? Is that, is that Hillary? I, I believe. Marjorie? I, I believe so. I, I'm not certain. <laughs> I know that they've been trying to do their, um, their, like, uh, their series on trainings, right? And, and yeah. Yeah. They have their, they have their, their academy. They have a bunch of resources. Um, just and frankly, actually, really great branding for for a uh, for an organization like this is usually not so uh, so well polished and uh, yeah. So, all right, well, yeah, you know, do <laughs> there's different angles here, right? There's the there's the corporate the corporate angle, and there's uh, being a good corporate citizen and, and understanding the the shoulders and the backs that this industry is built on. Um, and ensuring that you're doing your part there. If you're a legislator or working in government and advocacy, you know, ensuring that, hey, that we're, we're getting it done when we have the power of the vote um, because uh, spending money on lobbying to change things after the fact is, is certainly not efficient and probably unlikely to get us where we want to be. Um, and then finally... It's it's the the thinking of the last mile, right? You know, just getting people to the starting line. You know, yeah, that's a great first step and it's great signaling, but make sure it's not virtue signaling. Make sure that we actually care about the success of of the the people that are involved in these programs. Um, and and that's something you know, as 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 a business coach that I I've been, you know, crying since since the the legalization effort started, at least in California. It's, it's not enough to give people a, a license. You have to give them the path too, because, you know, even for us, we, I, I mentioned this on the last interview I, I, I did, right? Like we are engaged with no less than 10 law firms or, or five accounting firms. And how does that translate to someone starting a business for the first time in the cannabis industry? All right. Well, uh, let's take a, 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 one more quick break. Um, and, and let Shay uh, bring us another uh, a word from from one of our awesome sponsors uh, that support the work that we do here on the show. We're thankful to have the support of our friends over at All Kind of Portland, Maine, which provides medical patients and soon adult use customers with a wide selection of fine marijuana strains, handcrafted edibles, and all sorts of tinctures, rosins, dabs, honeys, and more. If you live in or around the greater Portland, Maine area, then you owe it to yourself to check out the buzz about All Kind, which is now offering up delivery and reduced contact curbside pickup. All Kind's wide array of legal marijuana products can be found over at allkind.buzz. That's allkind.buzz. You can also browse All Kind's extensive menu on both Leafly and Weed Maps. And if you're not lucky enough to live up here around Portland, Maine, you can still shop All Kind's CBD products online, which can be shipped to your home anywhere in the U.S. When you think about living the lifted life, you should be thinking All Kind. Maine grown, Maine made enjoyed by all kinds that's all kind of portland maine big thanks for the support that helps us keep our news lights on
back. People across party lines and from seemingly divergent demographics that we've been talking about, you know, uh, are, are, are continuing to show greater support for cannabis. Uh, what really caught my eye this past week is that the, the UFC uh, removed marijuana from their doping testing uh, requirements. Uh, and, and similarly in lockstep, it, it seems like uh, the, the NBA's commissioner, Adam Silver, uh, stated that the NBA uh, decided that given all the things that were happening in society, given all the pressures and stress that that players are under, that they don't need to act as big brother anymore. And and he goes on to acknowledge that society's views around marijuana have changed. We can argue how much after the fact that is, but, you know, we'll take it. Um, Further, uh, you know, celebrities uh, seem to be at a more rapid pace endorsing brands uh, more publicly and and getting by, uh, you know, behind them uh, with investment. Um, brands, uh, here in California that, that are notable, uh, recently, I would say click spray, uh, which is kind of this novel, uh, uh spray product. Um, and, and then can, uh, which is a, an infused beverage product here, here in the market. Uh, what, what do we have to look forward to good or bad, um, as marijuana continues to gain this, this mainstream acceptance? So there's obviously positives, right? We we do like to see exposure. We do like to see the reversal of the stigma and misinformation. There there's a good, you know, positive fact that we're seeing more people who have that influence and exposure and network to get more people to understand <clears throat> what's going on um, in in the cannabis space. Um, not to say that there's still mis- misinformation from some of these uh, celebrities and um, players, but you know, I remember when Ricky Williams was talking about weed, right? And like he was stigmatized and demonized and it was all in the headlines and all that. And now look, yeah. guess who has yeah. the last laugh, last laugh, right? He, he chose, he had to choose his uh, marijuana over his career. He, he yeah, left right. the NFL. Right. Yeah. Uh, smart, smart for him, actually. Um, Absolutely. You know, Mike, Mike Tyson saying that he smoked weed before his last fight, right? Like, remember, like that, like that. It's just, it's just nice that has become, it has become, it has made, um, uh, what's it called? Athletes become comfortable and being open about it and then moving that openness to activism too. It's been a nice transition to see some of these athletes being a little bit more vocal and, and also talking about the realities that they face too. Um, and so, you know, seeing the NBA, uh, you know, acknowledge that that's great. I think the NFL, um, suspended, uh, positive drug tests, um, as well. And, and, and so, well, first and foremost, drug tests are also a way to destabilize black and brown people. But, you know, to see these organizations finally come around and say, all right, we're not going to, you know, enforce or we're at least going to like not care and just like turn another eye and whatever, that's a good step. And so I, I always applaud these types of um, uh, changes, even if they're so far behind, even though that should have happened decades ago, but at least we're seeing it now. I, I, I do wonder if that the, the removal of these barriers, at least from their own personal consumption, if this actually from a business perspective opens up for greater involvement in investing into the, the industry. Uh, that, that'll be an interesting, interesting step, especially, you know, I, I, well, athletes, a lot of them generally have a lot more money than, uh, to disposable cash. So, um, I, I think that's good. And then, you know, I just, especially when it comes to mixed martial arts and, and the UFC, there's just so many benefits to, to, them having access to cannabis, you know, you, you can say what you will about their their job profession, uh, the choice of, choice of profession, but um, 
you know, as far as like neuroprotective qualities and, and, you know, pain and anti-inflammation, like, um, you know, there's just this rabbit hole that, that I go down where it's like talks about how people start to perceive cannabis and its different applications and how you have more targeted products and all this kind of stuff. So it's, um, I'm excited for what's to come. And, and I, I, I hope that them not being tested also equates to them allowing to be more open and public about their, their uh, involvement in the industry. Uh, yeah. And to your point about, um, the celebrity aspect of it or the, the influencer movement, no one can see me, but I'm air quoting influencer movement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, and, and my day job is, is, is PR and communications. Um, and, and while it is probably more on the corporate side, um, you know, we get, you know, companies being like, Hey, we're going to, we just got, we just signed a deal with X, Y, Z. Like, isn't that cool? And, um, and yeah, like that, that might be cool. And it might be, um, a, a, a nice short pop for you or pop for your stock, but what does it do in the long run? Um, so I think there is this, um, this, uh, you kind of have to weigh out, um, where, you know, a celebrity may bring about a normalization. Um, there's no doubt that a Martha Stewart, um, or a Chelsea Handler or a Jay-Z, or there is that like, you know, nor I, I, they are doing the work of normalizing a product, right? Um, something that's been stig widely stigmatized, um, you know, and bringing more people into the, into the tent. Right. Um, but I think there's also, we're at, um, a, a point of, of kind of inflection where like, you, you, you don't want to be seen as like a corporate whore, right? Um, <laughs> in order to put it really bluntly, um, yeah, uh, no pun intended. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I think in this age of authenticity and in, you know, like uh, you, you can't, if you've tweeted it out, someone's going to find it. So I think, you know, ha and people are very mindful of like a celebrity that's just cash in a check, like JLo, whatever you may think of her, girlfriend cashes her checks. And, and so there is, there's that sense of like there, the authenticity there, like, are you like a Jim Belushi who has literally become a farmer? Um, or are you just putting your name to something, which is fine, but maybe you need to say that and say, look, I, look, I'm, I'm a rich celebrity. Um, this is, a, a, you know, I believe in this product. I, I, I use this product. I'm investing in this product. I don't need to be the chief creative officer or the, the, social equity head or, or like, I don't need that role. Just say what the role is and don't, don't be something that you're fundamentally mm -hmm. not, or, you know, to your point to you, someone else could do it much better and more effectively. Yes. Um, I did want to clarify my point on the NFL. I pulled up marijuana moment, shout out to marijuana moment, just to clarify NFL players would not face the possibility of being suspended from games over positive tests. And this was in 2020. So I'm not sure if this passed or not, but they, they would not face the possibility of being suspended from games over positive tests for any drug, not just marijuana, which is like, you know, we're talking about shrooms now, wow. like all that stuff. So that actually is really progressive. The fact there's like no drug. Okay. All right. Well, Hey, but to, to, I just wanted to clarify that because I, I want to make sure <laughs> that was correct. But to your point, and yes, like there, you know, it must be fun to be like a brand ambassador and just make money having your, like your face or your name and your likeness next to a weed and like, cool. But are you going, are you like moving into the, into the thing because you want to make a profit, then be up, be upfront about it. If you're moving and then you're like trying to act like you are for like, you know, social equity and all, then like you need to really know what you're talking about and you should right. really be upfront about what you do and you don't know. 
And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of pluses and minuses. It's kind of it's kind of worrisome just in the general society that we live in that we do look at these celebrities as like the the trailblazers, the leaders, and, and the decision makers who who know what they're doing. And so, I really caution people when they're seeing celebrities who normally maybe never talked about cannabis suddenly showing up and saying, "Oh, I'm all about cannabis. I've invested. I made a product. I've come like we're doing all this. It's for the cult." It's like. You know, just be mindful of like who's actually doing the work and where are they showing that. Yeah, it's uh, you can almost imagine the next step being celebrities not only endorsing companies, but endorsing the people, uh, the advocates, or you know, employees at a company that would be doing the heavy lifting and doing the hard work. It's like if 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 they are if they are just going to be a face and they're going to draw attention immediately take garner that attention and and funnel it to the person that's actually going to affect the change right so like what if like you know jay-z has his 10 million right um what if jay-z came out and said i'm going to use 10 million to fund the drug policy alliance because cassandra Frederick is their black executive director and she's been doing the work like you know how much like that would be for like not just for her for dpa but for like wow entertainers and people with a lot of money should be looking at these types of drug policy nonprofits and organizations that are doing the work look what jay-z is doing like that would be a game changer in my opinion but like I think we need to. I think we need to, you know, continuously educate celebrities too of where they should be using their money too. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And anything else on this? Um, no, I mean, well, yeah, maybe. I think there's this. Um, I think there's also times that it does. It can do you more harm than good too, because people can sniff out the the authenticity factor, and you know they're going to look a year from now and 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 hold Jay Z's feet to the fire, and and hold these these celebrities you know feet to the fire to to be like, what are you doing? What happened? Was this just something? Was this just a campaign? And I think there's a fundamental difference between a campaign and an initiative, um, and and a lot of these are are couched as initiatives, but they're really campaigns, which if it's a marketing and advertising campaign, cool, fine. Just say that's what it is. Yeah. I, I got to say, I, I, you're making me think back to the earlier days and, and I like this better at least than, and no offense to anyone that works with these brands. But I'm just like, you know, the, the, the Willie's reserves and the Marley's and the Cheech and Chong's. And it's just like, I don't want to buy your stick and products. Like, <laughs> and so, you know, in the, in the very least, at least we're not, well, I guess we are getting some Jay-Z products, but, um, you know, <laughs> it, it, it seems like it's elevating to a higher level and it's attracting attention more in the right direction, not just actually using their brand to sell products. Um, so we'll give them that, that, that level of credit. We're just providing suggestions now how to make it even better. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, to say what you will about Martha, who also knows how to cash a check, you know, she had the, she got the discussion started among 70 plus year old ladies. That's like, right. like, cool, good. Like I got more phone calls on like, did you, and, and articles by my, my aunts and uncles who are in their sixties and seventies being like, look, Martha's into weed. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> good, but you know, so so net so net good, but also some weirdness. Yeah. Underneath it. <laughs> I mean, that that I mean, Martha getting into weed was a was a 
you know, I think uh, that, that's largely, largely positive. You know, it's a, it's a much yeah. further step for someone like her than say for, you know, Snoop Dogg and, and Jay-Z to kind of like be hanging right. their shingle out. Um, so yeah, credit to the, the old, old white women that are risking the reputations. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and did you see, and like speaking of celebrity and normalization. So, um, I watched the, uh, the new year's Eve with Andy Cohen and Anderson Cooper and the interview they did with <laughs> oh, Snoop man. about yeah. were you high and like uh, tears down my face. I mean, but that's also normalization. Like, like Snoop on CNN, um, you know, talking about where he's been high and that's just like, like, would that have happened five years ago, 10 years ago? Probably not. Well, well let's be honest. Andy's probably more progressive than most. I, th I think he was oh, also pushing sure. psychedelics by the end of the show. <laughs> I think he was also high, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, ah, good times. All right. <laughs> well, uh, that wraps up segment three. Um, we're going to take one more uh, quick break to hear from Shay and one of our sponsors who makes all of this possible. And when we return, finishing moves. We're keeping this spot this week to talk about the benefits of becoming a sponsor of our work here at MJ Today Media. If you have a legal marijuana brand, business, service, or company that you want to introduce or reinforce among the best audience in the industry, then you need to get in touch with me today about becoming a sponsor. We have the best listeners in legal cannabis, and since we've been around for so long, now entering our seventh year publishing, we also have the biggest audience with tens of thousands of industry movers, shakers, and decision makers. If you have any kind of marketing budget at all, you should be deploying some of that with us. Just email me at shay at mjtodaymedia.com to learn how to get started. That's shay at mjtodaymedia.com with shay spelled S-H-E-A. Thank you, Shay. Uh, welcome back, folks. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves is the part of our show where our illustrious guests can talk about anything they wish. So, Anne, ladies first, uh, what's on your mind? Um, so I have two things on my mind. Um, I think it, this week, I mean, we're recording this on the 23rd. Um, the inauguration was the 20th. Um, and I think the, in addition to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, the true star of the show was a, a young lady named Amanda Gorman. And she, and she is the, the uh, youth poet laureate. And the poem she read, I have chills talking about it right now, The Hill We Climb. 
blew me away. Um, and, and I've watched it a couple of times now. I've seen a couple of interviews with her. Um, and, and I think she is just, she is what we need right now. <laughs> um, and I, and I just, I, I, I don't know. I'm speechless talking about her because she is so eloquent and she is such, she is just such a command of the English language and, and the performance and the fact that she was able to overcome, um, you know, some, some speech impediments and, 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 you know, speech difficulties is just, it, it is incredible to me. So, um, that, that was my first, my first parting shot. The other one, um, and I'm late to the game on this, but I've been listening for the last, um, I don't know, probably two months or so. Um, the new Jim Crow, uh, the, the book by Michelle Alexander, um, it's probably 10 years old right now, probably 10 years old. Um, and you know, as I'm listening to it, um, and, and as I'm, you know, doing my day in and day, day out work in the cannabis space and, and now, you know, in the psychedelic space as well, um, you know, seeing how much just hasn't changed mm. in the last 10 years, in the last 200 years, in the last 400 years. Um, you know, I, I think it's a book that needs to be taught in every high school class. Um, and, and I just, if, if you haven't, I, I'm getting it from my library. It's, it's available at libraries. Um, please, please go read this book. Amazing. Yeah. Two great ones. Thank you. Tahid. Um, I'll do a book uh, recommendation too. Uh, just finished reading The Black Jacobins from CLR James um, about the Haitian Revolution, which is the first and only successful slave rebellion. Um, so if, uh, if you're interested in learning about uh, revolution, and these are revolutionary times, I feel like, uh, that is a great book to read. Um, what else is on my mind? Um, you know, New Jersey. I'm just, you know, waiting, waiting, and waiting to see what happens in New Jersey. I think the governor has until next week to either, you know, sign the bill, um, not sign the bill, or send it back to the legislature. I think with some provisions. Uh, so we may, we may see what happens in New Jersey. But uh, you know, for those who are uh, listening, you know, I just want to say. Uh, shout out to a group um, that's doing a great job in Oakland. Everyone knows them, but I'm just going to shout them out. Supernova Women, really great work that they've been doing. So if you're looking to support, um, you know, cannabis organizations that are doing the work, support Supernova Women. Absolutely. Uh, good friends with uh, Amber Center and uh, they're involved actually with the, the Equity Works incubator that I was talking about earlier. So incredible work that they're doing for sure. All right. As for me, um, uh, a bit of a, a somber note uh, today for me. Uh, I, I want to take this opportunity uh, for for a brief moment to to recognize a fellow cannabis entrepreneur um, Keegan Peterson, uh, who, who tragically uh, passed away this this last week uh, at the age of thirty three. Uh, Keegan was uh, a vibrant, humble kind and highly regarded CEO uh, of the cannabis HR and payroll company uh, work, um, which he founded in, in 2015 in Denver, Colorado, and really kind of went through the, the cannabis startup uh, system, you know, that was basically birthed around, around the companies of, of 2015, 2016. Um, he grew the company to over 60 employees across 33 states uh, and provided, you know, just a third party service that a lot of us uh, operators would get rejected from. Um, he was a friend and mentor uh, to, to many entrepreneurs uh, in the space. He won numerous cannabis industry awards, uh, was a volunteer for, for many just really great programs. Um, 
and he's going to be missed. Uh, uh, there's a GoFundMe page uh, to assist his family. Uh, we'll put it in the, a link in the notes. And and Works Board uh, is matching donations. So um, Keegan, from all the entrepreneurs in the space uh, that looked up to you, uh, rest in peace. All right. <laughs> How about a round of applause for, for our amazing guests? Um, Ann Donahoe, uh, Taheed Chappelle, uh, thank you so much. Uh, an absolute, absolute pleasure hosting you guys. Um, here's to, to an amazing year, and I, I look forward to many more great conversations with you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate uh, being here. Um, and rest in peace to Keegan. Yes. Thank you to Shay and the team uh, for their production work that makes us all sound so darn good and Overclock Remix for the amazing tunes. Thank you to all of our sponsors for, for their generosity and keeping our mics and lights on. And of course, thank you, our awesome listeners. Uh, please uh, don't forget to rate and review us on I iTunes uh, so that other cannabis nerds can tune in and stay current on the latest industry news. Most importantly, Marijuana Nation, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Marijuana Today and that you have a magnificent marijuana tomorrow. One take, Shay. One take. <laughs>